Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm not ever going to describe my directing as Fellini-esque. I'm much more of a David O. Russell type. You know, totally not a monster. If you can string all that together, you get bonus points. I mean, I'm Alex. <laughs> and I'm kind of an Edwards Wick type, and Tyler's a Chloe Zhao type. Can we get along in the suburbs? I'm Britain. <laughs> <laughs> we can, because we get along in real life, because we're friends. Guys, this isn't just a podcast <laughs> about movies or franchises. This is a podcast about franchises. Hi, I'm Britain. You already know that, because I said it. And welcome to our podcast, Here Come the Sequels, starring me, Britain, and... <laughs> Guys, introduce yourself. We're live. See, see you're, you're, you're uh, going off on this, like, just off-the-cuff thing, and I'm sitting here thinking, how, how can I make a sitcom pun <laughs> off of three, three directors in a... F- Filmer House! F- Filmer House! <laughs> Filmar House is actually pretty good. <laughs> That's the reality television show where a bunch of directors have to live together. Ah, <laughs> uh, Chloe's making some kind of knitwear again. <laughs> oh, looks like David's thrown a golf club through the TV for the fifth time <laughs> this month. We lose more TVs that way. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> we're talking about batman mask of the phantasm yep. if it wasn't uh abundantly clear we are uh finally knocking out three animated superhero movies uh that have been sitting on the shelf we'll say there's been a break in case of emergency glass in front of them for a while um and these are three theatrically released superhero animated films um specifically DC or Marvel. Uh, unfortunately, they wouldn't let me do the very bad Killing Joke movie, even <laughs> though I really wanted us to do that, um, because that was like a one night only thing. But the, the movies we are talking about are very specifically um, theatrically released ones. So we are doing this. I'll go ahead and reveal, unless either of you are feel strongly against not doing this, that the next movie we'll be doing is Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Uh, and then we'll be doing... Um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> should be an interesting uh, trilogy that we've assembled here, especially because one is, like, 20 years older than the other two. But <laughs> And um, one is, and is for, explicitly a children's film, from yes. what I understand. And for, and for those of you going, where's Lego Batman? We'll get mm-hmm. to it. There's other Lego movies, some of which I'd like to see. This is Alex promising that we will eventually talk about Lego Ninja. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> You've got me on the record, but I've said it now. For now, Alex, talk about this film. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Batman Mask of the Phantasm from 1993 is directed by Eric Radomski and Bruce Tim. It has an 84% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and an 88% audience score. Uh, this would be a case where I would like to uh, potentially read off some of the negative critical reviews later on. We can hold that okay. till the end, but don't let me forget because they're pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> like TBS or whatever. Um, <laughs> who would like to go first 
with best and worst thing? Um, I'll dive in. Mine are fairly brief. So I, how, how long into the animated series run was this made? I think because the, the animated series, I think started in 92. Yeah, that was my thinking. And this was 93. Right. So probably I, does Paul Dini mention it in the, in his, his graphic mm-hmm. novel? Yeah. I think it might be after the first That's, season. That then. sounds accurate to me. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I just want to check. He's written several graphic novels, so you may want to specify. I assume <laughs> yeah. you're talking about... The uh-huh. one where he talks about all of the stuff that was going on yeah, in his autobiographical, personal life. Autobiographical. Yes. Yes. It, yeah. it, it's called... A Dark Knight. Dark Knight? Yeah, Dark Knight, a, a Dark true Knight. Batman story. Okay. It's quite good. I read it in one setting. It's mm-hmm. it's quite good. Um, yeah, I... So I, I actually... I really haven't seen much of the Batman animated series. Of course, I remember when it was on. I remember seeing the bumpers for it around like Tiny Toons and stuff. Um, but, uh, it was interesting watching this for me. Okay. I'm just going to go ahead and say my worst thing about the movie is really not anything about the movie at all. It was just, I think it was just on me. I had a hard time getting really invested. This is one of those movies. I think the best comparison I can make to it is Ocean's Eleven or the Ocean's movies in general, where I went, this is really well done. I have a lot of respect for this and a lot of admiration. You are really doing this right. I'm just not... I'm, I'm, there's just a, a wall up or something. I don't know. It's just something on my end where like, I, I don't see any like glaring issues, but I'm just having a harder time, like hooking into it. And part of that's just, I think I've just had like this weird psychic block up recently about watching movies. For some reason, it's just been really hard to get myself to watch movies outside of the podcast stuff. So maybe that was it, but it was just that I had a harder time getting into it. But the, with the caveat of that might be, more on me than on the movie. My best thing, though, is how how vulnerable Batman and Bruce Wayne are in this movie, or is in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. it, it started off feeling kind of funny, because I recently replayed Arkham's Asylum and uh, City, and obviously Kevin Conroy voices Batman in those too, and he's very grim in those and very serious. And in this, he was a lot lighter and, you know almost chipper which of course it this is an animated thing from the tv show which is made to be safe for kids so of course but also he was just a younger person that you know was a different version of batman and and so at first i thought it was kind of funny and it didn't really work for me there's a great scene where he says to alfred you think you know everything about me don't you and alfred goes well i diaper job autumn i should think i do and batman hops in his car and he goes you don't and then he closes the hood and drives away. And I thought that was just so like teenage and funny. But he's, but, but then it was the scene where he's at his, his parents' grave in the flashback talking about his relationship with Victoria Beaumont. And he's like, I didn't count on being happy. Andrea Beaumont. I'm sorry? Andrea, Andrea Beaumont, excuse me. Andrea. And right, because he calls her Andy. And he was like, I didn't count on being happy. I should, maybe I shouldn't even try to, he wasn't even Batman yet, but maybe I shouldn't try to fight crime like this i could do so much more with my money as bruce wayne maybe i should just do that i didn't kind of and i had never heard batman say that before (laughs) i'm sure he has in some version of the comics Mm -hmm. but like there have been you know i've I've seen versions of him thinking about retiring but never him just like nakedly say what i consider to be the truth which is maybe bruce wayne can do can be more effective or differently effective than batman maybe i shouldn't do this and him talking about having someone to come home to. And it was, he lets himself like this movie lets Batman be scared, like, and be rescued by someone else. And it lets him be 
vulnerable without making him into a joke or without that being something he later goes, no, I was weak. I let my feelings get in the way. It's just he's a person with emotions and he's dealing with those emotions. And I thought that was a really cool thing to see and something I'm not used to seeing in in at least more contemporary Batman media. Um, so I, I thought that was a really, really neat choice. And so once I kind of hooked into that, I was like, oh, yeah, Kevin, Con- of course, Kevin Conroy is great. He is Batman. <laughs> like, this is awesome. So those are mine. Um, one, one thing I did want to ask Britain and then Tyler, if you don't mind, I'd like to go next. Sure. Um, Britain, how do you feel about it in terms of kind of wedging it in between the Tim Burton movies and the Joel Schumacher movies? Or do you have any feelings about that? Cause I, I think it's just a sure. very interesting kind of time that this came out during. I think honestly, I would have to rewatch at least returns and forever. Cause I saw the last time I watched returns is when we did it for the show. And I haven't seen forever since before that. So like you haven't seen forever. In forever. In forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think that is really interesting that this ends up splitting these two fairly distinct visions of the character. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I would have to, I would have to collect more data much like okay. the dark Knight himself. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, Give my me the best Rotten thing... Tomato scores for all of my movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's not looking great, sir. <laughs> a, a character from the Peanuts. I did, I meant to call Oracle. Oh darn it! <laughs> <laughs> uh, my best thing. I feel kind of bad saying this um, as my best thing because there is a lot of substance to this movie and kind of bringing up the time in which it came out like this actually explores Bruce Wayne as a human being, which mm-hmm. we've heavily criticized both Burton movies for just not doing. And I do wonder how much, how many cues Batman forever is taking from this in terms of questioning Bruce Wayne's kind of motivation and what's driving him and whether or not he even wants to keep being Batman. Um, obviously in terms of style, it's going for a completely different thing, but right. just in terms of like, Oh, we actually, there's a, Batman is a character. Maybe let's make him a character and not just a prop yeah. in scenes. Um, so there is a lot lot going on in this movie, but I think my best thing is going to be Joker. Sure. Um, and I think that's purely just Mark Hamill's performance. Mm-hmm. I think he's the best Joker, well, and I absolutely <clears throat> love him. And I the story doesn't necessarily need the Joker. I think you could... Uh, this almost could have been like the third Batman movie in that series. I feel like it could have operated on that in terms of being a partial prequel while also kind of moving the story forward. Um, but obviously it doesn't do that. Um, but anytime Mark Hamill, his Joker, anytime he's on screen, I just get a huge kick out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's he's amazing, obviously, in the role. Um, in the show as well but this one specifically i think the writing for him is is so perfect i mean again the show doesn't do him badly either but like every line he has is is funny like it's it's funny and it's dark and it's great well it manages to my my favorite moment my favorite moment of the whole movie 
every time is when Batman picks up the phone and he might be at uh, Andrea's apartment and Joker answers it. And he's like, oh, I'm sending you a little airmail and it ends up blowing up the apartment and Batman barely gets out alive. <laughs> and the the phone's just hanging there and you just hear Joker laughing. He's like, hello, operator. I believe my call has been disconnected. <laughs> and then he just starts laughing. That's my favorite part of the whole movie. Well, it's like the, the, the this take on the Joker <clears throat> manages to... Perfect, like make him funny and make him f- he's making jokes about dark things because i feel like now the take on the joker is he's just he's just insane like he's he's just like yeah what people think of as a mental patient and this version like i mean obviously the character styled after a gangster like i don't know it, it it manages to find the right balance of making him actually tell jokes that are super dark and be really dangerous without ever taking it to a point where you're like, Re- really though? Really? It doesn't feel like it's a weird, like insult to people who are actually mentally ill. It just feels like, well, yeah, yeah. he's just like crazy clown this, guy. Yeah. This take in particular, I think what really sells it is how selfish he is yeah. and how impulsive he is. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he, he very much has human wants. He, he wants, you know, to see people be tortured and he yeah. wants to have shiny things, and like <laughs> have, have new toys to play with, to, to hurt people. Like he, he's very, he's constantly expressing what he wants. Yeah. Um, and he's not like this mysterious dark force sure, that, sure. uh, cannot possibly be explained. He's just like, Oh no, he's just a monster. Yeah. <laughs> like he's, he's just, uh, you know, a terrible person who has taken that 10 steps further. Um, but yeah, Alex, your point about the uh, disconnected line. Um, there are a couple lines <laughs> in this because we had gone through and watched a few years ago, watched a bunch of the show and watched this and watched some Batman Beyond. Um, and I had completely forgotten that both that line and the uh, can't be too careful with all these weirdos mm-hmm. around like that line okay. as well comes from this. And those are both great. Yeah. And like the, the context and everything works, works perfectly for them. Um the, the entire time he's messing with the uh, the old gangster guy who's who's washed up now yeah. and um just you know completely playing with his emotions before he kills him like it's great yeah. it's incredible and i love that he has he has props that are around just for like gags that he has like the robot dog and he has the robot mm-hmm. wife lady who's just standing there who can just like cut his dinner for him or people's hands off and like that's such <laughs> a good gag you know as opposed to like, it's a spinning blade that'll slice you up. Ah, it's so funny, isn't it? It's like, no, mm-hmm. I made a joke, but it's a dangerous joke. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it's hard to explain. Yeah. But No, I mean, I agree. I think that's exactly it. I also like him just sitting there while uh, Sal is kind of uh, laying out what he wants Joker to do. And he's just like, what do I look like? Pest control. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's it's great. Yeah. And also, um, not to just like turn this segment of the podcast into let's praise Mark Hamill's Joker. Um, but something that he does really well it, as a character in this show is get angry a lot. Yeah. He'll, you know, again, going back to his feelings, like you, you can tell that he wants to like express himself and he's not just like, he has very clear motives. And I think that's something that like, it really comes through with Heath Ledger's Joker a lot. I think there's, there's definitely similar groundwork. There's a, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I, always a delight. A friend of mine uh, said this, but I absolutely agree that like, still when I'm reading Batman comics, that's the one in my head. Like that's the mm-hmm. voice. He is, yeah. I think, 
and this is not in any way a criticism of of Heath Ledger or or, any, or Cesar Romero or anybody else. It's just that's it. Like Mark Hamill is the quintessential groundwork. Like everybody is essentially acting out off of what he created. I remember this is this is related in what I'm getting at, but I think Stephen Pastis, who's a cartoonist, said that. There are two types of comic strip writers, the ones that were inspired by Calvin and Hobbes and the ones that won't admit that they were inspired by Calvin and Hobbes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of like that with all the Jokers following Mark <laughs> Hamill's. It's like you're either going off of what he did or you're going, well, I can't do that. So I have to come up with something different. Yeah. Like you're, it's he and, is so in the air of it. We've we've never seen a live action Joker who tries to do what happens to this because i think it would be too hard no, and i no, think no, writers no. are like oh we it's so much easier if we just make him dark and yeah gritty and kind of you give know. him a grill <laughs> sure no but this this <laughs> and and this is something that i want to talk about later but like that he is a cartoon character and that's why he works so beautifully in this mm-hmm. like he is truly an animated character so yeah anyway alex go on <laughs> uh my worst thing just a, a small thing that I, I have an issue with. Um, we don't ever really get a solid explanation as to how the phantasm has mm. s- seemingly supernatural powers in terms of appearing and disappearing at will. I know that's kind of a thing with Batman where, you know, Gordon will look away and Batman will have disappeared. But it's not like out and out like, oh, he he actually like disappeared. Yeah. He He transported from one place to another. And that seems to be what the phantasm does. Um, and I don't know if there's some backstory in a comic somewhere about what Andrea did in between her father dying and her returning to Gotham. Um, but it just, it seemed very weird that there's not even a throwaway line about where that comes from. And this movie, you know, it's not grounded, you know, it's very, very cartoony and it embraces that, uh, particularly with, with the Joker. Um, but in terms of the actual subject matter of the story... It's not supernatural. Yeah. That's the only thing that kind of sticks out in that way. So, yeah. yeah. That's my worst thing. Um, I'll start with my, with my worst thing, because I think our, my best thing will get us off into a different conversation. Um, my worst thing is actually going to be the structure hmm. of the movie, uh, because... The way it lays out, I mean, the flashbacks and the modern day stuff do line up in a way that there is thematic relevance. It almost feels like they had one episode that was all Batman's origin. And then one episode that was, Oh, this stuff's happening, you know, in the context or in the continuity of the show, um, and kind of just splice them over each other. Mm. Uh, to me, it doesn't really flow. And it, it kind of feels, I mean, the movie is an hour and 18 minutes, 16 minutes. Um, pretty short, which is standard for, you know, kind of a cartoon spinoff. Spinoff, maybe not being the best word, but a movie that comes out of a cartoon show. Right. Um, and it doesn't really feel... And this also goes back to the production of it and the fact that they weren't really planning on having this be a big theatrical release. Um, it doesn't really feel like it justifies being a theatrical release to me. It is good. I mean, it's a, it's a great long episode of the show that is also very good um but i feel like it doesn't feel like a movie (laughs) to me yeah um it feels like a longer episode and so i i'm not that upset by that but i do i especially was thinking about um batman beyond return of the joker uh 
that movie to me, and it's been a while since I've seen it, so maybe I'd feel differently if I watched it again. That movie to me feels like a big capstone movie that you would release in theaters, even though that was direct to video or yeah, or television or whatever it was. Um, Cause like, that's a movie that has like revelations about the characters and it's a big culminating storyline. There's a returning villain spoilers. It's the Joker. <laughs> um, like there's, that's, that's a really cool, like, you know, that, that movie feels like a big centerpiece to that show um, where this feels like more of the show uh so again it's not like you know a critical flaw and it's just like it i can see why they weren't really planning on making this a theatrical release i'll say that um and i kind of wish it it was just like like i was really enjoying (laughs) not to compare it to the godfather part two um but i was really enjoying the flashback sequences uh and the modern day sequences were like okay this is this is good whenever joker's on screen he's awesome um but I wasn't finding that as compelling as that original stuff. Um, like phantasm quote unquote as a villain is not, you know, that exciting. I don't know. Uh, the the background and the character stuff makes it makes her interesting, but um, yeah. And, and kind of to Alex's point, there's, we don't really explore like where those powers come from. Is it, is it all projections? It almost feels like we're missing like a Scooby-Doo style reveal. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, she was using projections the whole time to uh, scare people and then would would jump in at the last minute to really kill them. I don't know. There is it's a little uneven, I'll say. That's that's probably my whole thing. Let me ask this. I feel like there's more legwork that could have been done in terms of uh, strengthening the mystery of who is the phantasm. Yeah. I think they do a good job in hiding that it's yes. Andrea until mm-hmm. the end by, by having be the, you know, kind of using her father as a patsy. Um, but in terms of Batman actually, you know, finding clues and, and interrogating people and all that, I feel like there's there. The movie's not really about that. It's more just, Oh, a gangster got killed and Batman just kind of well, stumbles upon it or he doesn't stumble upon yeah. it, but here's, Oh, this person died. Let me go see what's going on. And Joker is actually the one who figures out that it's her because he knows that her father's dead because he killed him. Yeah. And that's how Batman figures out that it's her is because Joker, I think, says it over the phone call or something. Yeah, because he says something um, about. Oh, no, no, I was thinking of something else. I was thinking of when he says, hey, hey lady, or something like that to her. Mm-hmm. She comes before before, before, yeah, to before the that, yeah. he, he says. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So it's like, I don't know. A little strange. Um, my best thing, and this actually goes to your point, Alex, about this straddling between the Schumacher films and the Burton films. I kind of feel like this helps bridge the gap between the Burton Schumacher films and the Nolan films. Um, I think that this movie really wears its comic book influences on its sleeves, like specific storylines. Um, and I think it does a great job of that. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It, so the, the actual storyline is based on, uh, Batman year two. It's a story I haven't read. It's supposed to be a follow-up to Batman year one, but it was not done by Frank Miller. Um, and like, it's generally not as beloved. It featured a character called the Reaper, who I think they've replaced with hmm. phantasm of this. Um, so that's like kind of some of the background, but also like so much of that early stuff is 
Batman Year One without necessarily being direct panel by panel recreations of Batman Year One. Um, and in terms of Batman trying to fight the thugs and being like, "Why, why aren't they afraid of me? You know, what do I? How do I uh, get them to be scared when they see me?" Um, and like struggling to beat them up until he decides to become the bat. Uh, the, the entire sequence where he's running away from policemen in the that's great construction, uh, building like that's terrific sequence. Very, very similar to a sequence from year one. Huh. Um, it, obviously that's like in the modern continuity and not in the flashbacks, but still right. like that, that feels very inspired. Um, and I think he even loses his cape in that, in the books, like or in the books in the comics. I could be wrong okay. about that. Um, yeah, I I was Joker. really impressed that the movie did that. He just like attaches his cape and cowl, and then he's just running around yeah. barefaced. Like I thought that was really cool. It's great. Yeah. Also, they use guns, and I uh-huh. appreciate that because a lot of particularly a lot of superhero cartoons at the time they weren't really allowed to use guns at all. Yeah, like Yu Gi Oh. Like if you go back and watch like the old Spider Man cartoon from the nineties, they're using like laser weapons and and yeah. stuff mm-hmm. like that, and it's really lame. It's like if it's supposed to be like, particularly in, in Batman's case, where it's supposed to be like a neo-noir detective story. No, people should be using yeah. guns. Yeah, like sorry, uh, they should. Sure. Like in Pokemon, I yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, the whole th- and Digimon. And Digi- well, there wasn't really a reason for them to have guns. Actually, there was a lot of guns in Digimon. Um, <laughs> there were a, I, there were a couple of those Digimon who had like full on like Look. MRGs and stuff. If that's a gun. Look, Britain, the point I was making is that Ivan Ooze should have been carrying a Glock. <laughs> That's right. I'm... He should have been packing heat. <laughs> well, if the Power Rangers are here, you know I'm strapped. But... <laughs> oh, Alex, it wouldn't be a Glock. It would be an Uzi. Ah. <laughs> uh... uh... Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's for the oh, that's for the remake. No. Um. B- Took my joke and made it better. <laughs> but during that whole sequence, I was like, you know, those uh, cops are using rubber bullets, <coughs> right? That's how they're getting away with. It. They're gonna say the cops are using rubber bullets. I can't believe this movie would have the cops kill. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta shoot the cape on the um the wooden barrier right between the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Um. I was going to say, uh, also, Killing Joke. I mentioned the bad Killing Joke movie. This is like a better Killing Joke movie than anything we've gotten. Um, Joker actually wears the suit that he uses, I, I believe, that he uses in the comic when he shoots uh, Barbara Gordon. Um, I think so. You're making a weird face, Alex. Am I wrong with that? I, I don't think so, because he's wearing like a tropical shirt. I think that's what it is. Is it not? I'm not in this? Up. Oh, maybe. It, well, but like he, the hat and the suit. And this is very difficult to communicate when uh, over a podcast when it's a auditory medium. Uh, are, are, okay. I feel like we're playing a game of Clue. What 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 murder are we <laughs> talking about? He's not in this movie? wearing glasses. No, I'm saying. Jeez. Um, we're gonna stop the podcast so I can look this up. <laughs> um, no, I'll I'll come back to that. I'll revisit that. Okay. Point is, other other thing that is less uh, debatable is it also has Joker as a gangster before. Mm. Um, obviously, in Killing Joke, he's like a guy who gets roped into this, and in the in Mask of the Phantasm, he's just a dude who is a gangster who likes 
being mean. And some, I, I think this is turns into Joker. This uh, is, this is one of those inspirations from the '89 Batman movie. Maybe in so. terms of Joker starting out is just like a common yeah. thug. I for me, I'm thinking specifically of the the black and white photos that they have of the Joker and the fact that like Batman's like, oh, that's you know him. Like that yeah. feels very similar to because I is there isn't there a black and white sequence in Killing Joke? Am I making that up? All of the flashbacks yes. of. Uh, not Joker mm-hmm. are in black and white, I believe. Right. And so like that is also a thing that I think is very interesting. I just feel like there's a lot of I mean, it's Paul Dini. It's it's the rest of the crew. Yeah. Like obviously they they are well read on their Batman, but it's very interesting to me and I think there's a lot of stuff that happens here that starts to get into the full cultural canon of Batman and the cultural kind of uh, vision of Batman um, that really comes to light, you know, in Batman Begins a decade later or whatever. So, yeah. yeah, I thought that was really interesting, and I it, I would, thought it was very cool to see how they pull those, but not in a way that is, you know, directly adapting anything. Um, this is really, I f- I feel like I mean the live action Batman movies. I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I'm thinking of like the DCU and how often the DCU and specifically kind of the Snyder movies are very much like we have to set up the imagery of this. Mm-hmm. We have to set up the imagery from this comic. Um, and I feel like a lot of DC's films do kind of hew that way where they have to stick very closely to what's happening in the comics. And this show that is associated with this movie is one of the few things that really like forged forward and created things outside of the comics. Uh, in DC's visual mediums Um, because they also of course remade Mr. Freeze created Harley Quinn like there's a lot of big changes that kind of this imposed on how people saw Batman and Batman's characters what was what was Mr. Freeze's deal before the animated show the animated show introduced the backstory or Alex correct me if I'm wrong with this I believe it introduced the backstory of him having the wife. Oh, okay. Like was having so he, he was just, disease. And... He was just a guy with a freeze gun beforehand. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty just... sure it was just a, a thug with a gimmick. Okay. It, it was either that, or if not that it was never as fleshed out sure. as Mr. Freeze in the animated series is like a Shakespearean yeah. tragedy <laughs> to, to some extent. Like that's the angle they went with. Yeah. Well, that was the thing that um, I liked about, especially in like Arkham city mm-hmm. that he's, not even he's not really a villainous character like they make it so clear that like he if it once his wife is okay he's not going to be a criminal anymore (laughs) like this is not about trying to hurt anybody really he's just willing to do that to get his wife back and like i I always thought that was a neat take on the on the character um right interesting i didn't know that uh well and I, i I want to talk about Tyler. I know you mentioned the aesthetic in in our our little group chat. And first of all, I want to say this movie has some mm-hmm. a lot of really beautiful images, just beautiful drawings and just great pictures. I think it's a fairly daring is not the right word, but it's stylistic. There's interesting angles and in the way that they not literally shoot, but the way that they frame things. I think is really neat. Um, but it was interesting looking at this. And now, Alex, you point out where it came in the way Gotham itself looks because you had 
in the Burton and the Schumacher versions, Gotham was like a Roman city. It had these like giant statues everywhere. And like, it was this opulent, you know, larger than life location. And then obviously in the Dark Knight trilogy, it's just Chicago. Like they don't really, it's it's Chicago, which they don't try to make it like, especially one like stylistic, which I think is one of the things that helps that those movies actually be stylistic and cool. But then the, in, in the DCEU, Gotham feels, well, depending on, I guess, on which movie you're watching, um, there's like nine Gothams, but they, they, it feels like exaggerated form of a real world dingy city. And I yeah. like that this one drifts kind of in between Dark Knight and uh, <clears throat> the Burton Schumacher movies where it's like, yeah, it's a little grander and it's a little opulent, but it's also a city. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it still looks, it, it definitely looks noirish and it looks more much like, again, taking the comic uh, influence, it looks like a, a city in a noir story that you would see in a, I don't know, maybe a Dick Tracy cartoon or something, um, which I, I thought was really pretty and I think it's hard to make that visually appealing but i think the the movie managed it um but also thought that was just an interesting way because gotham as a character in the batman stories is such an oft changed uh uh entity and i i, I liked this movie's version of gotham i guess is what i'm taking a long way to get to yeah and that's that's one of the things i really appreciate in terms of Pulling what you need to yeah. from the stuff that's already been built and then kind of making it your yeah. own. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's one of the things that actually helps, um, at least the first Burton Batman movie kind of at least stand the test of time for the most yeah. part, um, is that, you know, they're they're pulling stylistically from all over the place. Like, all the gangsters are dressed up like they're from the 50s. You have old-timey cars, but then Batman's got the latest computer technology, right. and the Batmobile's like almost looks like something out of a fantasy like it's it's just it's pulling from all over the place and i i like that that the show and the movie kind of carry that on um but yeah they they kind of make it their own yeah. thing but I, I i'm just glad that that batman didn't pull out like a snickers bar or something for a, a sweet time <laughs> a sweet <laughs> tasty time master um, bruce i suppose you'll be yeah. seeing andrea beaumont no alfred Yo quiero Taco Bell. <laughs> I mean, Batman Forever people. does literally start with Batman telling Alfred he'll get drive right. through. Sure. Sure. I'm just saying. Anyway, um, back on Kids WB. <laughs> before his stay. But yeah, there's 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 lots of uh big rooms that have a single chair in them. Yep. Uh they're big and haunting and the windows are creepy and there's fireplaces. There's a hat shop roaring. with a giant hat on top of it. Uh-huh. Which is great. There, there's a, uh, I think it's actually supposed to be Andrea Beaumont's apartment has this giant uh, set of doors out onto the balcony that looks like from from the wide view of the building it looks like the top of like a cuckoo tower, yeah, or cuckoo clock. Sorry, the the top of a cuckoo clock like tower yeah. thing where the bird would come out. Um, yeah, there's. It, 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 there's just so many like very distinct stylistic choices in the way that it does things and it, it makes the the entire show have this sort of gothic timeless uh classic feel that is always like haunting and and it's just very memorable yeah 
Um, I really love everything happening in the creepy old World's Fair, abandoned mm-hmm. World's Fair area that Joker has taken over. Um, the the tiny Gotham that they stomp through, and and then Joker ends up uh, riding the front of a train, uh, like a a speed monorail thing. That's great. There, there's so many weird, cool ideas in the aesthetic of the show. Yeah. Um, I also like that just because it, it's not just a nice set piece. I I really like thematically what they're doing there, where you know with the flashbacks that's supposed to be Andre and Bruce thinking about the future and the wonderful life that they're going to spend together. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the movie, just how their lives have changed over the years. And it's just a wreck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that. I, I think that actually helps to carry a lot of the, the yeah. weight, um, emotionally speaking, because Britain, I, I think to your point, um, kind of earlier in terms of kind of overall lack of emotional investment. I, I think the movie could have used some more, some more time. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think it could have been a little bit longer to help flesh some things out. Um, and I, I don't know that, that ending, I think really does help, uh, raise a lot of it up. Oh yeah. I think it's a very, very compelling, uh, climax. And I do think, I mean, I liked the relationship between Andrea and Bruce. Like I, I think that yeah. was a pretty good yeah. love story. I, I, I liked when she saw him practicing and she was like, oh, you're doing karate. It's jujitsu. <laughs> and it was so jujitsu takes years to master. Ugh. <laughs> like it. I do like her immediate uh, gazuntite yeah, after yeah. he says jujitsu. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's no. so funny. I appreciate that this is half a love story. Mm, definitely. And that's that's something that's very hard to do in superhero movies. Like, they only get it. They, they've only really nailed that, like, a handful of times. Mm-hmm. Um, this, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Man of Steel, <laughs> and... Batman Wonder Superman. Woman 1984? And Steel, starring Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> Batman versus Superman, yes. where the love story is Lex Luthor and Doomsday. <laughs> um, no further questions. I, uh, all right, all right, Alex, you got to stick with me here. Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm going off of Google Images, and we're going to, we're going to work this out, and if I'm <laughs> wrong about any of this, I don't care, it's fine. Um, Fashion okay. So watch. the cover. Here come the sequels edition. Yes. <laughs> the cover of the killing joke uh has joker using a camera with the purple suit it's like the orange button up underneath or not even button up orange like long vest thing and then a orange hat and like a green tie bolo tie it's kind of hard to tell um and then in the actual scene where he shoots barbara gordon in the killing joke spoilers um (laughs) he is wearing the uh hawaiian crazy hawaiian shirt which i completely forgot existed um but he has purple gloves and the purple it's like the same hat but it's purple uh and so in the movie they have him wearing the purple suit the orange vest the green tie and the purple hat so i think i combined those two in my brain but either way i do think that is influenced at least design wise by killing joke i don't know if he ever uses that outfit in the first season of the series so which i did also confirm is that happens before and it may be in the first season of the series he uses that and that's also an influence i don't really know but i was thinking also jack nicholson does wear similar clothing that's true there's there's the 89 movie yeah anyways uh andrea is great 
and I absolutely love her character, and the Phantasm is so much better than Arkham Knight. <laughs> Seriously, in terms of of doing a reveal of a seemingly new villain, and I think this one has an even harder task because Andrea's a new character. Yeah. So the, the challenge is then, oh, everyone watching the movie is immediately going to point fingers at her and say, she's the villain because she's the new character, as opposed to Arkham Knight, which, spoilers... Jason Todd is the Arkham Knight. Oh, hey, that guy that everyone assumed would be the Arkham Knight. Um, yeah, I think uh, I really wish they would they would take more chances like this in terms of like actually creating new villains and, and yeah. trying to explore this a bit more. Yeah, where's my Professor and Pig movie? That would be a good movie, though. It would be terrifying. Pigs are terrifying. Or they can be. Well, I wanted to say about the the reveal. I I was as sort of dulled as I guess I was. I was surprised by the the reveal. Like I definitely had a physical reaction when when it was revealed to be Andrea. Having if I've seen this movie, it's been a decade. Like I don't remember it, but yeah. I I I did have throughout the movie. I did have the thought: How old is her father? That he is, you know able to do all this physical stuff because he wasn't a super young man in the flashbacks and we know it's been a decent amount of years so how is he able to still be this physically spry i guess but you know the way he's built it's still stacy keach's voice um yeah which so i it was very easy to be like i such that i wasn't even necessarily expecting there to be a twist reveal that it wasn't him i was just like okay Mm -hmm. it He's the bad guy. Got it. Um, but then it, when it's revealed to be her, I went, oh, that makes so much sense. And I remember talking about this, I guess, somewhere during Hunger Games or somewhere recently. I, I talked about a good twist is when you didn't see it coming, but it makes perfect sense when you when you hear it. So then when they revealed it to be Andrea, I did immediately go, what? Oh, yeah, for sure. And then I was just on board for the rest of it. So I was, I was impressed. Yeah. I only kind of pinpointed one uh, plot point that I was a bit confused by in retrospect. I didn't really understand why she started dating uh, Arthur, the councilman, when she came back to I mean, Gotham. How could you not? <laughs> kidding me? It's the guy that I... Alan Rickman shoots in Die Hard. How could you not <laughs> fall in love with him? I assume the idea was that she was going to eventually kill him, and like she was trying to figure out, you know, make sure she was finding all the uh, loose ends by using him. Uh, but yeah, the yeah, Joker kind of cuts her off early on that I was hoping that the scene that where he, he's kind of telling Batman everything that he knows while he's he's under, you know, whatever the Joker did to him, I guess he injected yeah. laughing gas into, into his bloodstream, um, which is also a very... Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a disturbing scene. <laughs> both, yeah. both Joker interrogating him and then Batman interrogating him after what's happened. Um... But yeah, I was kind of hoping for more details there that I maybe had missed on on uh, prior viewings, and it's just not there. Yeah, I, I was uh, impressed, and, and this may be more a a thing you see nowadays than you did then. But to watch a Batman movie that really only had one familiar Batman villain in it, because yeah. and I guess Batman eighty nine mm-hmm. had done this, but that was you know the first of these new movies, and I think that. Right now, it's like most Batman stories, the question becomes, oh, who's going to play this character? What villains are you going to use? And 
as of this recording, the Batman with Robert Pattinson isn't out yet, but supposedly there's going to be a, a bunch of villains in that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I, I know I certainly, when I consume Batman media, I, I am interested in the rogues gallery. And so I want to see all these different villains and what your take on them or who you've cast or whatever. So I was impressed that this movie was like, no, we're just, it's a new villain. And you know what? Yeah. Let's put in the Joker. We don't, we're not going to have a bunch of throwaway scenes so you can say, Oh, and the penguins in it. Oh, and two faces in it. They're, yeah. It's okay. Well, we, we, this well especially enough. because if they, if they're just coming off an entire first season yeah. and they're going, well, we already did like a pretty good two face story. Yeah. We already did. I know they're kind of infamous for not actually handling the penguin very well, but uh, kind of setting that aside, it's like we have done most of the other major characters in the rose gallery. Let's try a little something different. We have that opportunity. Yeah. Um, I think I think most of that comes down to just the the super varied quality that comes with the Batman movies because like we haven't gotten a good live action uh Mister Freeze. Yeah, I want to mm-hmm. see that. We haven't gotten. I mean, I like Uma Thurman and Batman and Robin, but we haven't gotten a good sure. <laughs> uh, Poison Ivy. Uh, we got, we did get a good Two-Face, but he was only in the movie really as Two-Face for 15 minutes. And, you know, it wasn't really like full on comic book Two-Face. Um, so I think it's just very weird in terms of people like each director having their own take yeah. and just kind of the ups and downs that come with the Batman movies where, where it's like, well, there are a lot of villains. Yeah. I, and it's kind of a fine balance of like, I want to your point, Britain, I want to see new ones. Give me something yeah. new. But at the same time, it's like, but these other ones need a little reinvention now. Well, and also just to do a movie that really only has one, like the confidence to yeah. say, we don't need to double up on our villains and we don't or, or triple yeah. up or quadruple up on the villain. We don't need to just load this down with villains. So you'll buy a ticket. We, we, we have enough faith in the, in the story we're telling with one character and that way you get to really use that character. Um, sure. And uh, which, again, I don't I don't mind when they're multiple. Obviously, I love the Dark Knight and the Arkham games are different because it's a video game. So you can do you have so much more time. It's a completely different uh, set of. Yeah. When characters. you have 20 hours of gameplay. Yeah, I expect more than one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't. It? Well, I guess I'll I'll go see King Tut for another side quest. <laughs> I would I would actually enjoy that now that I'm saying it out loud. Same. Uh. Also, after further review, I think the Joker suit I'm thinking of has been around forever. So you know what? Who cares? It's fine. I believe the mummy was uh, wearing mm-hmm. that when he was buried uh, before resurrected by Brendan Fraser in the mummy. <laughs> I was going to say, are we are we talking Emotep or are we talking uh, Lady Emotep, Mummy? Emotep, that was the name. I couldn't remember. I was like, Kamun Ra? <laughs> yeah, close enough. King Tut. Yeah. <laughs> Crossover. Yeah, so Imhotep or Sophia Butella, like which which, which I'm just picturing <laughs> Brendan Fraser being like, "We can't handle this mummy," and then he picks up the phone, and you, and then it's Bruce Wayne. My brain is like ten steps ahead of this, and has already decided uh, we need a comic book series called Brendan Fraser meets the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> we really do. Oh my God, Brendan Fraser Jones. <laughs> but I like to imagine he's like. He's the pizza delivery guy that keeps running into <laughs> <He's> them. Kino. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, yeah, I'm into it. Aren't you right. like 50? Well, the housing market crashed. Huh, trenchant, dude. All right, anyway. 
<laughs> G- give me that slice. We live in a sewer. <laughs> Whoa. And then uh, all their jokes and skateboarding. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> How did you guys feel about the 3D opening? Because apparently that was one of the big things that they kind of invested when Warner Brothers was like, no, make this theatrical. That's where a lot of the, the uh, bump in the budget went. Um, I thought it was pretty. I was really actually in that scene thinking about the music, which I really liked in this. I yeah. liked that like big yeah. chorale or, or uh, choir backing. I thought that was, it's- yeah, I thought it was great. It's very yeah. Elfman inspired, yeah. but I think it has its own its own flair too. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think originally when they were doing the show, they had asked Danny Elfman if he wanted to be on board, and he declined. And then Shirley Walker did her thing, and then Danny Elfman was like, "No, wait, I need my stamp on this." So he's <laughs> he has a credit on the theme for the the main show, but I think the uh, composer credit is. Uh, solely uh shirley walker in this yeah, one it is yeah so yeah no yeah it was no great. it's great I thought the score was really good in this but yeah i, I didn't really um, think about it maybe it's just because you know it, i don't I, because it was all the buildings i didn't really think about like oh it's a 3d difference maybe at the time i would have noticed it just as a juxtaposition to what i was normally seeing in animated movies but yeah. i liked that they didn't go, oh, a 3D opening. Let's do a 3D Batman. Like, no, we're just going to do the buildings. It's okay. <laughs> we could be, this, this will age a little better. I think the main thing I like about it is not necessarily like the design elements. I just like that we have a traditional opening credit sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, we're just going to show you the credits. Here are the people that made the movie and it's up front. Mm-hmm. And, you know, particularly nowadays, we don't, we just don't do that anymore. Um, so it was nice going back and be like, a classic opening credits well, scene. I was happy that we got an unexpectedly 90s closing credits song. Yes, I did. I did catch this that as incredibly, well. incredibly like 90s soft R&B. Um, I never knew to tell you. Sung by Tia Carrere from Wayne's World. It was like this. <laughs> I was like, this is a different movie. This is a, this is a. I think like somebody else mixed up their movie in the lab or something. This is crazy, and I love it. This is not in yeah, any that's, way that's, sound like Batman to me. Well, that's the the super strange thing because it's like when they're making the '89 Batman movie, it's like Prince, right. <laughs> and see, like you just get like these weird flourishes of like we can market this elsewhere. Right. There are other people that might come see this Batman movie because of these songs, yeah. and it's like, well, this one you just shoved in the end credits, and nobody. <laughs> Nobody knows it's there. Someone was sitting around going, "We can get an Oscar nomination out of this if we <laughs> if we throw an original song in there." <laughs> oh boy! But yeah, I just thought that was very funny. Uh, did did we have much else we really wanted to dissect with the movie? Because I would like to get to. Uh, oh yeah, 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 please. Some negative uh, Rotten Tomatoes. T- take us uh, to something reviews. rotten. Uh, the new segment on Here Come the Sequels. That's not that's a Broadway show. I'm sorry. I'll come up with a better title. I'll take I it. I think I think that's also like a website, maybe. Probably. <laughs> I don't know. So the first one I would like to to present to you is uh from Stephen Holden with the New York Times. Oh, okay, okay. I thought this Listed... I thought this was gonna be a user review. Yeah. And I was like, you're just calling this guy out, aren't you? All right. <laughs> yes. That's what we do here. 
It's a it's a review it's a critic, so it's fine to harass him. Let's do it. <laughs> They're not people. <laughs> Look, why else would they give him the credit on the website if I yeah. if I'm not supposed to harass him? Yeah. It's there so you know who to yell at. Continue. <laughs> So this review, it's listed from 2003. So I'm I'm not sure with some of these older movies how much of the reviews are um, them kind of taking archived reviews and throwing them up mm. on the website and how much of it is like, oh, somebody came back and reappraised the movie like 10 years later or something. So I don't know. Um, he gave it a two out of five. And the, the, the overall consensus from him is the actor's voices may suit animated television characters, but on a large screen, Kevin Conroy's Batman... Mark Hamill's Joker and Dana Delany's Andrea sound flat and one-dimensional. Mm. It amuses me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any others? Uh, the other one I wanted to read was from Mark Caro with the Chicago Tribune. The violence is too realistic, though not terribly graphic, to qualify as cartoony escape as escapism. Yet the movie lacks the sophistication, vision, or satirical edge to lay claim to any higher purpose. It's merely dark for dark's sake. Mm. When, when yes, is that the from? movie has absolutely nothing to say. When is that? Uh, did you say that was from? That one's listed as 2013, and it's okay. a two out of four review, so I don't know. Um, that's that's pretty funny, because I feel like that it, it's one review from, like, pre- superhero movie rise and then yeah. another one like after all these superhero movies came out and so now people expect even more from them and it's like yeah like one is like oh no no, no. superhero media it's crap useless not it's just cartoons um the last one i'll read is from stephen hunter with the baltimore sun it's a two out of four review mm-hmm. fans of classical animation are hereby warned to steer clear of batman mask of the phantasm for it will put them in instant vapor lock, and there aren't enough ambulances available this time of year. Which apparently around April uh, 10th, 2013, <laughs> apparently that's the time of year. What does vapor lock mean in this context? And where are the ambulances in April? <laughs> What's gone wrong? There's an alien invasion that's a smokescreen for all the ambulances to go off and do crazy stuff. Look, the, the ambulances were home spring cleaning, yeah. okay? Um, I have a user review here from IMDb. I don't know the user's name, and I'm not going to read the review, but I, I do want to read the, the title of the review, which is Intelligent and Mature Batman Cartoon. Uh-huh. All caps. <laughs> um, and I love that. <laughs> Seems good. Just sound sound those those Batman klaxons, baby. Yep. Yeah, nobody gets movies like we do. Um, what do you guys want? <laughs> <laughs> That's because we never stop talking about yeah. them. Yeah. If we do, we'll die. <laughs> Sometimes it feels that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can go first if we're if we're ready for grades. Go for it. I've just had uh, a bit. I was going to say we're like a shark. And then my brain also wanted to say it's like speed. And I was like, what if you had a movie where you have a shark that has a bomb strapped to it? So the shark can't stop moving. But it's like, this is fine. 
this is how I live my life. I can't stop. I just keep like <laughs> this is already what I was doing. <laughs> this is there's nothing changed here. Well, we'll Fine. attach this to Britain, and if he ever stops talking about Anna Kendrick, it'll explode. <laughs> <laughs> if, anyway, so, continue. Shark repellent bat spray. Mm. Something there. I'll leave it at that. Um, I'm gonna give it a B plus. I don't think it's quite the masterpiece that you know a lot of the internet and just kind of modern Batman culture, fan culture would have you believe. Uh, <laughs> Britain did to you know go along with your your uh, chosen uh, fan review. Mm-hmm. Uh, dark and mature, <laughs> mature uh, and intelligent. Oh, and excuse me. Hmm. How can I, how can I leave that out? Um, I think there's a lot of really really thoughtful stuff here and a lot of good ideas um that kind of get later uh explored in more detail i think this is a good kind of groundwork for where the nolan trilogy goes um i think all three nolan movies are probably better than this 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 might be for me it's dark knight rises is weird i think overall i'd probably say they're neck and neck in terms of overall quality uh and it's definitely better than all four Burton Schumacher movies. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it's it's just like, it, it's just really, really well done. And, you know, for 76 minutes, I, I, I do wish it was longer. I wish it had more time to flesh things out. But like, it, it's just a very, very efficient uh, half romance, half uh, depressing superhero story. And Mark Hamill's wonderful. I mean, every the whole voice cast is that they're all wonderful in it. Um, but yeah. B plus. Do you know what you're doing, Tyler? I think I'm gonna go B. Uh, pretty much for all the reasons Alex just said. I just think I don't quite connect with it uh, as much. Um, but I still, I mean, it is. It's very impressive. Again, it it feels like a longer extended version of the show. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the strength of the show is seeing how they use these characters over time and like continuing to recur those characters especially when you start to get into some of the later series with Batman beyond and the justice league stuff like that is all insane and awesome um so like part of the strength of like this team of creatives is serial storytelling and this is a single you know piece that obviously they did put some more time and effort into but uh for that reason it does it doesn't necessarily stick out to me above like the rest of the show i'll say um, I'm also going to go B. I, you know, like I said, I think I just, I didn't have a personal attachment to it, but it is, it is well made. And I, I respected that while it was, it, it did not feel like a kid's movie. It wasn't, it didn't feel unsafe for kids. It was more like mm-hmm. how invested are kids going to be in these types of stories? But at the same time, somebody will be kids are smart, but you know, it, it didn't go. It's not, it's not violent. It's not, it's not explicit. Like kids can totally watch this. And I respected it for, like, respecting its audience. Um, so, yeah, yeah, B, you know, for Batman. I I do think, just kind of thinking back, because I did actually have this on, on VHS, and I did watch it frequently as a kid, I do remember being a little bit bored in places. Sure. sure. And I think if you had asked, like, seven, eight-year-old me what my preference was, I probably would have said Batman Forever and Batman and Robin sure. in terms of watching something for entertainment over yeah. this. Mm-hmm. I mean, those aren't kissing movies. Ugh. Sure. Uh, I will say there's a part <laughs> where Batman, uh, I believe, punches out Joker's tooth in this movie. So, And there's a no, solid I think, blood uh, splatter. Uh, Andrea 
maybe kicks that's him. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kicks him on the chin. Yeah. Yeah. But there is there's blood, there's gunfire, and there's smoking. No, that's so true. that's true. Mature. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. So we Disney could never. <laughs> we said that if we ever talk about um if we ever stop talking about movies, we'll die. So this is my my last <laughs> act. Uh, I don't have a movie to recommend because I didn't watch a movie this week. So instead I'm gonna recommend a TV show I've been watching, uh, and that's Homeland. Homeland, uh, I am very late to the party. It premiered in 2011 and ended in 2020. I'm just now watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. If you don't know, it's about a an American Marine played by Damian Lewis who is was imprisoned for eight years during the Iraq uh, conflict and is returned home only for CIA worker Claire Danes to suspect that he's been turned by al-qaeda and try to figure out what's going on with this guy um why does his accent sound weird (laughs) um the only real drawback (laughs) to the show is that damian lewis's accent's a little a little tricky at times uh but he's still good claire danes is fantastic mandy patinkin plays her mentor and he's utter i mean it's incredible he's so brilliant on that show he is such a wonderful actor whom i love so much and he's it's really incredible work uh david harewood diego clattenhoff morena bakarin Morena Bakarin. Um, huh. Timothy Chalamet showed up in season two, which I'm like, oh, here we All right, let's do this. <laughs> there he is. Um, Rupert Friend. Uh, anyway, it's it really manages to be a character-driven thriller, which I think is hard to do, but it really succeeds. It's very smart. It's very well acted and re- well written. And it's a, I'm only about halfway through season two, but it's a show that, that era of TV, like the late aughts into the early tens is when I was starting to first become aware of like the Emmy Awards and like, quote unquote, real TV. This is when, you know, for so shows like this and Mad Men and Lost and at the time, Dexter, The Shield, stuff like that, all, all on this like pedestal to me because that was what like HBO and Showtime, they were doing like mm-hmm. real, like good TV and, but I never had access to them. Uh, but now I do because Homeland is on Hulu. And I've been really enjoying it. It's got some cool stuff. And if you ever watch it with me, you'll get to hear me announce the entrance of the character Galvez by saying Galvez. Because I like Galvez. Um, it's a cool show. <laughs> it's on Hulu and it's called Homeland. And that means two things. <laughs> do, you, no, do you guys have anything to, to recommend? You got anything, Alex? Uh, I'm about halfway through season five of oh, The wow. Wire, so it's doing something nice. right because there there's only go. five yeah, seasons. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it's still really that good. Mean old Aiden. I'll Gillen. let you know when I. I'll let you know when I wrap up. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to mention did I did I say I watched Hell or High Water? Have oh, I mentioned that? No, I watched it a couple of weeks ago. Um, I wasn't over the moon about it, but it was yeah. good. Yeah. Jeff Bridges is um, great I think in I think I have a hard time just getting into kind of westerns, whether or not they're more classic or sure. if they're kind of supposed to be like new westerns. Mm-hmm. I think there has to be some kind of extra element. Like with Logan, obviously, I care about Wolverine and I care about Professor X, so that's kind of uh, my, my uh, kind of way in. Um, so I was having a hard time kind of getting into the story and really caring about the characters. Is that because you're not attached Chris- to Captain Kirk, Angel, and Obadiah Stane? 
Yes, because that's those are the characters that they're playing in right. the movie. And who right, you right. most associate them with. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, uh, Chris Pine and, and Ben Foster are wonderful in the movie, and so is Jeff Bridges. Um, they, they are all legitimately great in the movie. I just, I had a hard time really caring about their characters. Um, they felt like stock characters for this particular kind of movie, but they're played really, really well. Um, so like it is a good movie, but I, like I said, I wasn't over the moon about it. I I feel like just in terms of like that kind of subject matter, I feel like I would just watch Breaking Bad. So what I'm hearing is I need to keep making you watch Westerns until we find a classic Western that you like. <laughs> I do like the Coen Brothers uh, True Grit. Yeah. Also the Alamo. <laughs> there you both, go. <laughs> both the John Wayne version and the Billy Bob Thornton version. There's two for one. <laughs> uh, High Noon, man. High Noon. Previous Britain recommendation. High Noon is a great Western. And short, too. Okay. Uh, well, I mean... I mean, the problem is I didn't like any of the uh, the Man with No Name movies. Well, this one wasn't sure. filmed in Italy, so therefore. <laughs> I mean, that might actually be a big boost. Yeah, it's not Fellini-esque. But... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, we established it up top, and now we're bringing it back. <laughs> Tyler, you been consuming anything cool? Uh, I, I did watch a uh, movie that I would say was very fitting to Father's Day, um, which was The Courier. Starring Benedict Cumberbatch oh, came out yeah. a few months ago. Yeah, it was a fine movie. Um, it was really interesting because it's about like Benedict Cumberbatch plays an Englishman who goes over to Russia during the Cold War, and he's like supposedly facilitating business connections, but actually he's helping ferry back information about nuclear bombs, and he's working with a mole inside the Russian regime, and uh, ultimately they they work to. Uh, try to like prevent the Cuban Missile Crisis from resulting in the end of humanity. So uh, it, it's really interesting, and I think that it, it it does a good job of like making it not as much like a lot of spy movies about how or about the Cold War. Where not that I really watch a ton of movies about the Cold War, but <laughs> it makes it so that they're you know the Russians aren't like the big evil, uh, like stock villains sure. <laughs> who just like refuse straw man to, kind of deal yeah like the the um pentofsky is the other man who it's based on historical events he's the other man uh in russia who is working with benedict cumberbatch's character person uh whose name i forget somehow i remember the russian guy's name but not uh the englishman's um and uh a greville greville is his name because it's a weird name <laughs> <laughs> and very british um but yeah, uh, the the Russian character is portrayed, I think, it's very nuanced, and it's not like he's just like, ah, Russia is crap, and I must come to England because you guys are better. It's like, no, there are things I love about my country, but I don't like what, you know, the people in power are doing, and I want to... I don't know. That was an interesting movie uh, that I just kind of randomly watched with other people. It was not one that I particularly was like, I need to watch this. Um, but you know what? If you if you want some of that residual fa- Father's Day energy, I think it it scratches that itch. Um, and Benedict Cumberbatch is pretty good in it. That's cool. It, I think sometimes it's easy to forget how good he can be when he's not trying to do an American accent, sure. or not that he's like bad as Doctor Strange or whatever. No, but, no, no. Um, there are definitely roles where he really shines, and roles where he's like, I'm being Benedict Cumberbatch, and I'm acting in this movie, 
and yeah. I am fulfilling my obligation. I, I think that he's someone who I like him more than I like his career sometimes. Yeah. It's like, I feel like he doesn't sure. get used aptly often enough because he is quite talented. Um, mm-hmm. You get him in the right thing. That's cool. I had I, I knew of that movie, but I hadn't really heard much about it. So Oh, and uh, is it Jesse Buckley? Yeah. Is that her name? Did I get she's the right? Awesome. She's also in that. And she's good. Oh, I like her. So there's that. Oh, and uh, the, I, I completely forgot to name the other people. Um, her and Rachel... I oh, Brosnahan. Me- Brosnahan, yeah. is that how you pronounce it? I kept meaning to look up how to pronounce that. Um, but yeah, she is also in there. And I was like, well, there is Marvelous Miss Maisel. Yeah, Neat. good actors. <laughs> good actors all. Um, well, guys, I'm really interested in our next movie because I have never watched an episode of Teen Titans Go. Um, I've never seen the movie. Mm-hmm. By looking at IMDb, I learned that Nicolas Cage has a son named Kal-El Cage. And that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, you know, I, that lives with me now. I, I'm very fascinated. We might be like, this was a terrible idea, but I've, I've heard that there, it pokes lots of fun at like DCU and maybe sure. superhero movies in general. So we'll see. I don't know. Look, I'm not going to say we're going to do two movies back to back with Nicolas Cage in them, but we are doing two movies back to back with Nicolas Cage in them. <laughs> Have we done any movies with Nicolas Cage in them so far? I don't believe so. Are we just like infusing Nicolas? Do we have to do the Ghost Rider movies next? I think we have to do Ghost Rider and National Treasure. Okay. Okay. I mean, his two unfinished trilogies. Yeah. We'll have to think about that. <laughs> um, also, I will say as one more part of the recommendation segment, I am watching Invincible and I am very, very much enjoying it. And after this podcast, I plan on finishing the last two episodes. So, yeah. If I didn't have to sleep, I would watch the rest of the wire. There you go. <laughs> uh, where can they find us, Tyler? You can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at sequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com or on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, other places. Get, do, go to your favorite search engine. Go to DuckDuckGo? Is that a search engine? Go to dogpile.com. I've heard this. Go, dog, go to Ask Jeeves. <laughs> I've made that joke before, but I'll make it again, dang it. Um, yeah. Uh, one last fun fact. Uh, Dana Delany, uh went on to voice Lois Lane in the uh, Superman cartoon. Huh. Interesting. Law and Order, I think, was her, her show <laughs> at some point. <sighs> well, it'll be interesting next week, and hopefully it was interesting this week. <laughs> um, <laughs> but whatever it I've is, been Tyler. was or will be, that was Tyler, and I've been Britain. And I've been Alex. I may still be Alex. We'll see you next week. I don't know. Uh, you're having a good night. Bye. <laughs>